0: Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 370 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. ACC season is here. It is upon us. The rest of the games the Blue Devils will play the rest of the way, unless something crazy and weird happens. And boy, (laughs) crazy and weird been happening a lot lately. Uh, Anyway, but as of right now, it looks like the rest of the games until hopefully the NCAA tournament will be games against ACC teams. That is where our focus is at this moment. I am Jason Evans. I will be your host today as we journey into the ACC schedule. Joining me as always, guys, Donald and Sam. Gentlemen, thank you for, uh, you know, picking up my leftovers, so to speak, when I was not able to be there over the weekend for those two games. Donald, how are you feeling this morning? Glad to have me back. <laughs> of course.
1: Of course. We're glad to have you back. I'm sorry that we you were not on the show Uh, over the weekend and I'm sorry that I was in Sam City all weekend and did not did not get a chance to see him. But with with this Omicron rolling around, hopefully Sam, you guys are feeling better. I know you're a little bit under the weather. Still uh, only okay.
2: Still only okay. So
1: (laughs) I mean that's we're we're playing it safe here. And the funny thing is guys, like you know, most people out there are like, oh if one of you is sick then you can't do the podcast. Well luckily we have this thing called Zoom, probably the greatest invention of 2020. Uh, which allows us to do these do these shows remotely uh, and not necessarily have to be in the same room.
0: Yeah, amen to that. You you heard Sam a moment ago. Sam, other than uh, confirming to everyone that you are still among the living, <laughs> everything else is good in your neighborhood.
2: Yeah, I uh, I miss having Jason. I miss having you uh, in the weeks when when you are gone. Because you're often the driving force of the organization of this show, even if you're even if you're not here. So uh, I I feel like I have to I have to pick up the slack and be like ah what are we, what are we talking about today uh, before uh, when you know on those weeks. So it it uh, we miss you, but it also keeps me honest. So um, you know d- do do whatever you got to do, and we'll we'll hopefully be able to uh, to carry the water for you.
0: Thank you very much. As we peel back the curtain a little bit on how the uh, the DBR podcast crew works, yes, I'm usually the guy who's like, okay, what day are we recording? What time? What topics are we talking about? How are we dividing it up? <laughs> that is, and I know is- it may seem
2: that the topics are obvious, but they are not always obvious.
0: Yeah, and how we talk about them as well.
1: Yeah, you know wh- where we talk about them, like wh- what do we talk about first, and then obviously, you know, last week we preview the game that never happened, or at least <laughs> right. the opponent never happened, and then we didn't have a chance to review the second opponent that didn't happen or the third See, opponent that we actually played.
2: If I was there, you would not have had this problem. I would have known that we weren't going to be <laughs> playing. If you had just asked me, I would have told you, this is what the schedule is actually going to look like.
0: <laughs> okay, well, guys, uh, enough of the preamble. Let's get to what we are at least pretty sure at this moment is coming up for the blue devils, which is the game against Virginia tech. The first ACC game for Duke. Most of the other ACC teams, all the other ACC teams have already played a game, but, uh, but Duke is playing their first ACC contest. It is against the Virginia tech Hokies. And, and I'll start us off really quick. I just want to get into some of the metrics about Virginia tech, and then I'll get to you guys for, for more observations about them. Uh, Duke is starting out with a tough ACC opponent. Um, They are ranked 22nd by Ken Palm. Um, they are top 30 on offense and top 20 on defense, so they're a, a solid team who, is, uh, who are really well balanced on both sides of the basketball. Uh, Virginia Tech, very, very experienced, largely juniors and seniors playing for this team almost exclusively, and, and they, really, they know how to play college basketball the right kind of way. Virginia Tech is a team that plays really slowly. This is one of the things you're going to hear me come back to this several times during today's podcast, talking about the ACC in general. Uh, And Virginia Tech may be, you know, next to Virginia among the most slow teams in the ACC. 64.6 possessions per game for Virginia Tech. Just for perspective, Duke averages 75 possessions per game. So uh, almost 11 more possessions in a Duke game than a typical Virginia Tech game. That's a lot. That translates to a lot of points on both ends of the floor. And Virginia Tech just, they want to play at their pace. They want to slow it down. And what they want to do is work the clock and get a good three-pointer. They're a good, not just good, they're an outstanding three-point shooting team. They hit better than 40% of their threes. They're the eighth best. I'll repeat that. The eighth best three-point shooting team in all of college basketball. They are also great at defending the three. Opponents hit just 25% of their threes against Virginia Tech. That's 10th best in the land. You're talking about a team that is in the top 10 at shooting threes and defending threes. That should be a formula for them to be one of the best teams in the country. Why aren't they, you know, better than the 22nd best team in the country? Well, they don't block a lot of shots. They don't get a lot of steals. They do a good job of holding onto the ball and, and don't make foolish turnovers. But, but really, other than that outside shooting and defending that outside shooting, there aren't a lot of other strengths here. They're, they're just average at rebounding. They do a good job of defensive rebounding. They do it as a team. They really work together. But their offensive rebounding is certainly not a strength. Um, and, and and they're not a deep team. They're they're among the you know ten to fifteen percent least uh, bench using teams in the country. Only about twenty four percent of their minutes are played by their bench. And and as a result, you know they they rely on their starters. And and those starters tend to get tired down the stretch a little bit. Uh, in terms of how they've done in their games, and I'm about to wrap things up and get to you guys, but they they have a nice win against Maryland in the ACC Challenge. They blew out their their the most recent game they had. They blew out a really good Saint Bonaventure team by almost 40 points last week. That's the game they had leading up to Duke. Could have been a trap game. I mean, that's the kind of game where you would think you're not paying attention to a mid-major opponent, but uh, I, but Saint Bonaventure's really really good. Going to be a tournament team probably this year. And Virginia Tech just blew them out of the water, like I said, by 40-plus points. But other than that, they haven't done anything impressive. They lost to Memphis. They lost to Xavier. Two games where they had a lead late, and they gave up those leads. Um, they got blown out at home by Wake Forest. They lost on the road to Dayton. This is not uh, a really good, the, you know, the kind of Dayton team we've seen in years past. This Virginia Tech team, is, it's hard to figure out. There are a lot of things about them that look like they should be really good. And yet, some of their results... Don't hold that up. Uh, i tell you what, uh, Sam, I'm going to come to you first. What, what do you have you – know, what are you expecting to see from Virginia Tech uh, when Duke plays them this week?
2: I think that the main thing that Virginia Tech brings is experience. If you look up and down their lineup, um, lots of guys that you've heard of highlighted by Kevin Aluma – who was an all ACC player last year. He is almost certainly going to be an all ACC player this year. And this is a, a senior who Duke fans, I'm sure remember uh, who kind of does everything. He's a six, nine guy. He can rebound. He can shoot. He can defend. He he's all over the court for Virginia tech. And he is going to be the focus for, for Duke um, both on offense and on defense. So that's the, that's the main guy that, Duke fans need to be keeping an eye on is Keve Aluma. Um, another one who Duke fans will remember is Justin Mutz, who's a who's a big rebounder for them, as well as Storm Murphy is one of their um, one of their guards. Both of those guys are also seniors alongside Keve Aluma. Uh, like I said, experience is the, Storm, is the main thing. That Storm, they bring.
0: Hey, Storm Murphy's a, a transfer from Wofford and, and a really. Why do I feel like I remember his name? Did we did we play them or did did Carolina play them? Carolina played I feel like we played him a couple
2: yeah. years ago in the yeah. tournament. I, I feel like I remember this guy, um, yeah. even if he, even if he wasn't on the Virginia tech roster, everyone's transferring. So, so this is, this you don't, is on you don't forget a name called storm Murphy. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's just cause he's called storm Murphy, but, but they're seniors. They're experienced. Um, if he transferred from Wofford, he's got, he's got many ACC games under his belt because Duke and UNC and, you know, all the, all the, the North Carolina and, and adjacent North Carolina teams all seem to play each other. Like if you, you know, look at the, the, look at Elon who Duke just played this weekend. All those guys have probably played, you know, lots of games against ACC opponents. So not a lot of, um, not a lot of inexperience in the, in the Virginia tech roster. And that's going to be one of the things I think that, that Duke is going to be dealing with. They've played uh, Duke has played a couple of, of really experienced and talented teams this year. Gonzaga is one of them. Um, and, and we saw how well Duke handled that, but Ohio state was also experienced and, and, and that and the the relative uh difference in experience may have been the difference in in the second half there for duke. So the 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 thing i'm looking for for duke i'm very glad that this game is at home in cameron where duke is going to be able Amen. to yeah. kind of manage the the atmosphere a little bit more. I could see playing and i don't think uh duke does not get virginia tech on the road this year. That would have been one of the okay. toughest acc opponents this year. I know you mentioned jason that they're not they're not a top 10 team but they're you know in the 20s or 30s depending on exactly what metrics you're looking at this is going to be a tough Virginia Tech team they're almost certainly going to make the NCAA tournament despite their uh, somewhat uneven schedule those wins against Maryland and St. Bonaventure I think are gonna are gonna um, work really well for them at the end of the season and we know that their home court is, is a tough place to play. Castle is, is one of the toughest stadiums in the ACC. Those fans really get after it. And Duke doesn't have to go there this year, which, uh, which makes me really happy. So I'm looking forward to, to this game. Uh, I think it's going to be a good test for Duke going up against a big, strong, experienced team to kind of see how they're benchmarking. Because let's face it, as we talked about in the recap, and as Jason got to share some of his, th- his thoughts, on the most recent episode that he was on, these three games coming out of the exams that Duke was playing were not tests of anything other than the fact that the the players were still alive after the exam break. So very much looking forward to Duke kicking off the ACC schedule with Virginia Tech.
0: It's worth noting, Sam, you are dead right. It is a good thing that Duke gets a good team like this at home as opposed to on the road. But it's not – Donald, it's not going to be the usual – The Duke students aren't going to be there. I mean, that's just reality. (laughs) It's almost Christmas time. There'll be some of them, but but not a lot. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And and I think this serves up well for Duke in the fact that it is at home. But Jason, I think you're right in that the students will definitely be missed, at least those that have gone home uh, for Christmas break. There will still be some in attendance. But I wanted to focus on a couple of things when it comes to this matchup against Virginia Tech. The first thing, Jason, I believe you mentioned that they're really good at shooting three-pointers. Hunter Couture shoots 44.4% from, the, from three-point land. That is really, really good. So we got to make sure we have someone out there to guard him whenever he's on the perimeter because he can shoot at any time. You also have Storm Murphy and Naheem Alini who can both also fill it up from downtown. That is going to be a key, key matchup. Our guards guarding the perimeter, which we've been very good at doing this year so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Another key metric that I think you touched on a little bit, but I think is going to be very interesting is the turnovers. And you mentioned, Jason, that they don't get a lot of steals, but they do force a lot of turnovers. They're seventh in the country in defensive non-steal turnover percentage, which means any, any turnovers that you know, someone's throwing the ball out of bounds. So while they're not going to steal the ball from you, They're going to try and force you to make a bad decision with the basketball, which Duke has been very good at. On the flip side, Duke is second in offensive non-steal turnover percentage. That means we don't turn the ball over a lot. And we do force a lot of steals. So it'll be interesting to see if both teams end up taking care of the basketball and if one team can force the other into making a lot of bad decisions. And finally, the thing I'm most excited about for this matchup is the Jersey matchup. What do I mean by that? I mean, Virginia Tech is probably going to be showing up in their maroons, which they usually do when they come to Cameron. But Duke will be unveiling a new jersey tomorrow night, assuming this game gets played. The Brotherhood jerseys, the Navy ones that we have seen throughout the past year and a half, those are still here, but we're getting the white versions of those. We're getting the home versions of the Brotherhood with the Navy Gothic. I am really excited to see how they look in person because I think it's going to be one of the top five matchups in Jersey land of the year.
2: Donald, I knew that Jason wasn't going to bring this up unless uh, <laughs> we reminded him in the agenda today. <laughs> so thank you for reminding Duke fans that this is going to be happening because I am so excited for, to, to see these white jerseys.
0: <laughs> you guys are the Jersey crew. I I, I really, I, I can't get that jazzed about that stuff. I,
2: I think that the, the, all the, the, the brotherhood, uh, uh, D, de- you know the, the the detailing with the with the Gothic Duke and stuff. It for
0: looks For some good. reason, like
2: yeah, I think it's awesome. And I used to think it was only okay. Like that that script version of Duke has has been around. That logo has been around for a while. But I was always sort yeah, of yes. like, eh, it's okay. Now that I see it on basketball jerseys, I'm like,
1: man, I want I want that everywhere. <laughs> like it is
2: so Look, awesome.
1: <laughs> just just put it in the store. You can do a limited run. I'll buy a bunch of them in different numbers. Just. Just do it. That's all we're at. We're not asking you to do much. We're just asking you to just do that. Nike. I'm actually wondering. Put them in a store. I'm actually wondering now that they can, now that they
2: can make deals with the players and pay them. Why haven't they been selling the jerseys with the names on them yet? Like
1: when I was, I don't know. That's not, that's not allowed.
0: not. Why not?
1: Wait, wait, wait. It is allowed, but that is a different agreement that they have to enter. The players have to enter into agreement. With Duke stores. The problem with Duke stores, it is not like the MDIN, which, if you remember, Michigan has this deal with their football players. The MDIN is not linked with the university. Duke stores is. That's why we haven't got it yet. They have to figure out how to get around that to be able to sell jerseys, but they could sell with fanatics or something like that and have it where they can have their name and number I and back. Just, but my, that takes my, some time.
2: My my girlfriend has had this huge crush on Mark Williams and I just want to get her an authorized Mark Williams jersey, and I can't do it. Like, I will pay money for that jersey, and I just don't
1: have it. Make it happen. Make it happen, Nike and Duke.
0: Okay, away from the uniforms, there is one other thing about this game that I wanted to mention, and that is I really I really want to see the role that A.J. Griffin plays against Virginia Tech. Since the exam break, you know, the three games last week, uh, AJ Griffin's averaging almost twelve points per game in those three games, shooting sixty-three percent from the field, fifty-five percent from three-point range. He's grabbing rebounds, he's dishing assists, he has zero turnovers since the exam break in those three games, and he's just playing playing a larger role for Duke. And we've been waiting for this all season long to see AJ Griffin emerge and become, uh, you know, a major part of the rotation. Uh, it's a huge huge deal for this duke team if that continues and virginia tech is really our first chance to see you know we've talked a lot about virginia tech i just wanted to for a moment talk about duke to me it's a it is going to be crucial to see what kind of role aj griffin plays if he's 15 20 plus minutes per game going forward in the acc season that means this duke team has stepped up to another level cuz he he's capable of taking us there That's called being an X
1: factor and slowly, but surely AJ Griffin has become an X factor for Duke and in a, in a lineup that has a lot of places where scoring can come from, where defense can come from, where blocks can come from AJ Griffin has been able to provide a little bit of everything when he comes off the bench and sometimes has really stepped it up on the offensive end, especially of late. So uh, that is what we call an X factor. If we can get him into this game early and I, I expect coach K to get him involved in this game, probably from the first TV timeout. If he can you know, make make it where he scores a couple of points pretty early, that puts a lot of pressure on Virginia Tech, which, Jason, as you said, is not deep. It's going to put pressure on their starters to have to score and be involved in this game, because if we can pull guys off the bench like, like Joey Baker and A.J. Griffin and Theo John, we're going to have a really good day against Virginia Tech.
2: And if Coach K or the coaching staff are, are trying to play any game theory around – you know when to deploy particular strategies or or use players in certain spots. Like I said, Virginia Tech is one of the best teams that Duke plays this year. So this is this is more of an empty the playbook type game than you would expect to have early in the ACC season. I feel like, and and I I shouldn't I know I shouldn't say things like this without actually going back and looking at the schedules. But I get the impression that the ACC somewhat backloads Duke's schedule. Part of that is that they always played UNC. You know. At the, basically at the end yeah. of the first half of the season and then Virginia's, all the way at the we end. We play Virginia
1: twice late this year. Like Yeah, they're, they're back Syracuse,
2: loading. Duke has two games against Syracuse. One of them is late. So I feel like the ACC usually backloads the schedule. That's not the case with this particular game where Duke is getting maybe the second or third best opponent in the ACC uh, right off the bat.
1: And another thing on substitutions, really quick. We don't have a game after this for another week. Uh, We have the Christmas break off. So it'll be interesting to see if guys stay in a little longer or if if we play a deeper bench, knowing that we can empty the tank, so to speak, and then have a week's worth of rest before we go on the road to Clemson and then really get into the meat of the
0: ACC schedule. Hey, hey, last thing. Um, I I got some fun stats for you. Duke is 31-10 and in ACC openers under Coach K. That's a pretty good record. 75% of your uh, uh, record in ACC openers. And uh, Donald, I just wanted to harken back really quickly. You talked about turnovers against Virginia Tech, how important that will be. Uh, Duke is one of the best ball handling teams in the country. They're third in assist to turnover ratio in the entire nation, in all NCAA teams. Duke is third in a assisted turnover ratio. We are the seventh best team in the country in terms of having the fewest turnovers per game. Um, we're the ninth best teams in terms of assists per game. Duke has done the right thing in terms of turnovers, hanging on to the ball, putting the ball in the right kind of place. Virginia Tech is the kind of team that's going to try and disrupt that. And and that's going to be a a big key factor to this game. So, So that's going to be it for our preview of Virginia Tech, the game coming up on Wednesday. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, there are a few other interesting teams in the ACC. And as we embark on ACC season, we're going to do a deep dive, well, maybe a shallow dive at least, on each one of some of the most interesting teams in the rest of the conference that's coming up just after the break. Okay. We're back and we have to talk about the rest of the ACC. There's some really interesting things going on with the conference. Obviously, if you haven't been hiding under a rock, you know, the ACC has been exceedingly disappointing (laughs) thus far in the preseason Um, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of uh, kind of a surprising performance in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the ACC has done woefully bad against other Power Five conferences, and there have been a number of teams that have lost embarrassing, frankly, there's no way to say it other than embarrassing, embarrassing games to teams that are not in Power Five conferences, kind of games ACC teams never lose. It's been really, really bad, and the conference that looked like it might be, I don't know, six, seven, eight teams contending for an NCAA tournament bid, you know, before the season started. Uh, Now we're probably looking at four, (laughs) maybe five, but the ACC does not look like it's going to send a lot of teams to the dance, but we wanted we want to look at some of the more interesting teams in the conference thus far. And Donald, I'm going to start with you because you've got perhaps the most surprising team in the entire ACC, Wake Forest. I never in a million years thought that we would be talking about Wake Forest as one of the best teams in the ACC. But that's where we are this year. And I don't think anyone else did because they were picked to finish 11th in the
1: ACC this year. So uh, this is a really big surprise. They are tied with Duke for the best non conference record in the ACC. They went 10 and 1. Their one lone loss was to LSU, but it's not like they were playing a bunch of Patsies. They did beat uh, Oregon State and Northwestern in non conference play. So They've been doing really well so far. They're also want to know in the ACC they beat Virginia Tech, who we will play tomorrow. Uh, they beat them 80 to 61, so that's a pretty big uh, beatdown of Virginia Tech. Yeah, wasn't really even a close team. game,
0: it was surprising, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and really the the heart of and soul of their team so far has been Alondez Williams, who has probably had the best season of anyone in the ACC, not named Wendell Moore. He has 21 points per game, 6.6 rebounds a game, 4.9 steals per game. Like this man is all over the place on both offense and defense. They also have a couple of guys uh that are coming in averaging 13 points per game and they're eighth in the country in two point percentage. 58.4% from two points. So literally what they're doing is getting inside and making baskets. And so they're not necessarily worried about beating you from the three point line. They're beating teams by just stuffing it home inside the paint. The one thing that's interesting about them is a couple of things. One, they don't get a lot of offensive rebounds. They're they just for some reason they're they're just one and done, but they're also again, when you're getting balls inside the paint and making it in one possession, you don't need offensive rebounds. And that's what they've been relying on, it's just going hard to the paint and getting to the hole and making shots. Their schedule, however, is going to be the question because right now when you look at the Uh, preseason rankings for the ACC. They have 11 out of their 20 games against the top seven. They play Duke twice. They play FSU twice. They play Louisville twice. They play Syracuse twice. And then when you even look down, they play NC State and Miami twice. So that is going to be a hard ask for them to really maintain that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they can do that. Of course, they have a lot of confidence right now, but their schedule is going to be very difficult, particularly down the stretch for them. So they're going to have to try and rattle off wins as much as possible to get their name up, and maybe if, if they're if they're still playing this way, come you know mid January, they could be one of the team, one of the second the second ACC team that's ranked. That's how good they're playing right now, and let's see if it can continue.
0: Yeah, Wake has been fascinating. Um, they, for the most part, they haven't played a lot of good teams, like you said. Um, they they lost that game to LSU you know, Northwestern's the only other non-conference team they've played who's ranked in the top 150. I mean, they've played a lot of teams in the 200s and 300s, but they've been winning those games and winning a lot of them very, very, very comfortably. Um, so uh, if if Wake if Wake can find their way to, I don't know, 10, 11 ACC victories, they're probably making the NCAA tournament. And, and uh, you know, there are not a lot of other ACC teams that you can say that about. Most of the rest of the conference needs to find – 11 or 12, maybe even 13, <laughs> because it, it, it's, it's been such a rough preseason schedule. Hey,
1: wake Wake is going to be an interesting thing, right? Because if they can go, you know, 10 and 10 or even 9 and 11 with their non-conference no, schedule. Not, that's not
0: going to get it done. No way.
1: And, yeah. and here, here's the reason I say that is because they were already preseason ranked so low in the ACC that if they did that, people go, oh, yep, they just regressed to the mean. Whereas some schools, you know, you have some of these schools sometimes that do go nine and 11 in conference, not just in the ACC, but in the Big Ten or otherwise. But since their preseason expectations were so high, they get the benefit of the doubt. Wake realizes that they don't get the benefit of the doubt this year. They've been one of the worst teams in the ACC over the past few years. And now they're starting to show that they, you know, that they can play some basketball. They need to continue that to keep that on the front of everyone's minds so that when tournament time comes around, they can go. Hey, these guys exceeded expectations, and they deserve to be in the dance with the rest of the teams.
0: Hey, Sam, it's your turn, and I know you've got a couple teams that I think folks expected to be better. They haven't been awful, but they haven't been great either.
2: Yeah i i had picked uh, I had picked two teams that I always find interesting. Uh, Florida State, which is one that um, I, I just i i love the way Leonard Hamilton, both recruits and coaches. Uh, I think that he he manages to find. Florida state, new Florida state guys basically every year. And it's impressive. I feel like that, that every year when we talk about Florida state, we highlight all of the same dynamics. So that was one of the teams that I wanted to focus on. And the other, if you want to find the the theme is Syracuse. So I was going for coaches who are, who are very old, Uh, both Leonard Hamilton and and Jim Beheim being in their seventies and both teams having, like you were saying, Jason, Um, maybe somewhat disappointing results to this point in the season Um, teams that we, I think in our minds expect to be top of the conference. Syracuse really hasn't been that the last few years, despite making tournament appearances and a couple of good tournament runs, but um, both this year struggling a little bit. Uh, Another reason that, that you would lump them together is that both Florida and Florida state and Syracuse have big losses to uh, rivalry uh, it, it losses in rivalry games early in the season. Florida State uh, took a loss at Florida early in the season. Florida is also pretty good; they're ranked 30th in Ken's bomb, where Florida State is 38th. But uh, Florida waxed Florida State 71 to 55 early in the season. That was other than a, a game against Purdue, which they were certainly going to lose. That was Florida State's only opportunity in the non-conference against a really good opponent. And on top of that, they tack on a loss to South Carolina, who's ranked 104th, so um, really not a strong showing for Florida State in the uh, in, in the non-conference, and they've also got um, a loss to Syracuse here early, so um, Florida State not, not really in the position I think we, we usually expect from them, um, and also missing a little bit of the talent from last year, but uh, they do bring back um, Caleb Mills, who is um, who's one of the leaders on this team. Um, they've got a couple of transfers on this team as well. Uh, it, it's kind of an, an interesting mix for Florida State. So I'm very curious sort of to see, how their, um, to see how, their, how their performance in the ACC comes out. This is one of those teams that, to Donald's point, if Florida State is only okay, I feel like they usually get the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that that's going to happen this year, given their, their less-than-stellar non-conference play. But, um, but we know that Leonard Hamilton can coach and we know that he has figured out how to be, if not the best team in the ACC, they are perennially one of the two, three, four best teams in the ACC. So, uh, would not be surprised if Florida state, you know, turns it around, they get Duke or or Duke gets Florida state twice this season. Um, the first one is going to be in Tallahassee in January, and the second one is in mid-February back in Cameron. So uh, I always like when Duke plays Florida State, I feel like it's a, an interesting challenge for the Blue Devils. That is is one of the teams that I was looking at the other. Hey, 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 Sam
0: I- Sam, before you get to Syracuse really quick, I, yes. I did want to mention about Florida State. I, I can't overstate enough. They, they They are only six and three in non-conference games. and and like you said, there, there's not a single good win there. Loyola Marymount. There are no good wins. Yeah, it, there, there, are the, no
2: wins against, there are no wins against, against teams that are getting into the tournament other than being automatic bids.
0: Exactly. And, and as a result, they're, gonna, they're one of these teams that they're going to have to be, I don't think even 11 and 9. I think they're going to have to be more like 12 and 8, maybe even 13 and 7 in the ACC to get there. Uh, to get to the NCAA tournament, I mean, this is a team that is almost all perennially, always in the ACC in the NCAA tournament, and they're going to have to post a really impressive ACC record to get there, uh, in, in my opinion, because because their resume right now just they, they they just don't have the resume of a tournament team.
2: This is one of the teams that's emblematic of the ACC's fall, so to say, this year, where um, if Florida State beats any of, you know. Purdue, Florida, even South Carolina in the non conference, they might be in a little bit better position. And 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 if they had won two of those games, it would be one more tournament team that the ACC would likely be getting. In, They'd be ranked. That's Florida State. Yeah. Whether it's Florida be ranked, State I think, or, whoever, yeah. or whoever would have been beating them uh, in conference play. So the other team that I was interested in that uh, kind of mirrors Florida State in a number of ways is Syracuse, who is also coached by a longtime coach. Of course, Jim Beheim has been at Syracuse since I think two of us were born. Um, and I will get back to I will get back to the years that we were born in a second. But uh, Syracuse has been kind of an up and down program in the last few years. They also, like Florida State, uh, suffered not one but two uh, really tough rivalry losses early in the season. Uh, one of them was against Georgetown. Of course, their longtime Big East rival who they just lost to this past or, or two Saturdays ago um, in a in a very tight emotional game. The final score was 79 to 75. Georgetown, though, is not uh, Patrick Ewing playing center Georgetown. They're Patrick Ewing on the sidelines Georgetown, which uh, it turns out is not as good as as 1980s Georgetown. So that's a tough loss for Syracuse. Um, they've also got losses to to the very best teams that they've played this year in Auburn and Villanova, but the really devastating one because it's both a bad loss and it's a rivalry is that they lost to Colgate early in the season. Uh, Colgate, if you're unfamiliar, if you're not um, if you're not from the Northeast and don't know about all the all the small schools in New York, Colgate is also from upstate New York. Uh, they're not that far from Syracuse, and it turns out they play basically every year. And once upon a time, they used to play like multiple times a year when it was harder for teams to travel. I think I was reading that Syracuse has played Colgate something like 145 times in the history of their men's basketball program. And Colgate hadn't beaten Syracuse since 1962. So uh, in terms of uh, the last time things happened when, when those of us were born, Jason, you are older than that, I believe, right?
0: Just barely, yeah. No, I'm older Just than Just barely, that. 1967, uh, my friend. <laughs> yeah, so,
2: so, so, Syracuse hadn't lost to Colgate since before Jason was born. Um, that's a tough one. It was at the Carrier Dome, and it was 185. I mean, that's you—you you can't slice that uh, in a in a positive light. So, Syracuse also um, not having a great season. And if you thought it was weird that Jim Beheim had a son who was the leading scorer on the team, uh, Buddy Beheim is still at Syracuse. And guess what? He is joined by transfer Jimmy Bayheim, who comes over from Cornell, another school in New York. Uh, Jimmy Bayheim transferred from Cornell and is now playing at Syracuse. And he is also playing huge minutes for the Orange this year. So uh, when Duke plays Syracuse, which they will do twice this season, once in January, end of January, and once at the end of February, it will become very confusing. Because there will be three Bayheims that people will be talking about. Uh, I find this whole situation extremely messy for Syracuse. One guy who they bring back, who Duke fans will definitely remember, is Joe Girard. He is uh, only a junior. It feels like Joe Girard has been at Syracuse for a very long time. Joe Girard is just a junior, but he uh, is the point guard and uh, is is consistent for them. Syracuse has really struggled on defense this season. That's been um, that's been really tough for them. It's. Surprising, I guess, because they have veterans and they have a very set defensive system. But for whatever reason, they are not picking up Jim Bayheim's zone defense. They're ranked like in the 120s in Ken Palm or 160s. Uh, they're 168th in Ken Palm defense, which is really abnormal for Syracuse. They're very efficient offense. They shoot a lot of threes. They're a very good um, shooting team. So it should be an up and down affair when Duke plays them. And I know that we have speculated a little bit about the way that Duke will attack a good zone defense. I got news for you guys. Syracuse, not that good of a zone defense this year. So uh, you may see a, a very bizarre set of, of Duke Syracuse games this
1: year. I just want to say real quick, three Bayheims, including a Jim and a Jimmy. Good luck to all the TV broadcasters out there this season, because yeah, they're, no going need, they're going to need it with all this
0: confusion. You know, Sam, there's something fascinating. about Well, two things I wanted to mention about Syracuse really quick. First one is they are last in the country. 358th in terms of three pointers allowed per field goal attempt. Like their opponents basically just shoot over that Syracuse zone all day long. More than 50% of the shots taken against Syracuse are are threes. That's unbelievable. And and even though like their opponents aren't hitting a huge percentage, they're hitting 34%. But if you take a ton of threes and you hit 34% of them, you're you're probably that's Pretty successful. That's like hitting 50% Volume. of your twos. Yeah. So that's why Syracuse, I think, is struggling on offense. And then the other thing I wanted to mention about them that's really surprising, I I feel like, tell me, guys, if you think I'm wrong. In the past, Jim Boeheim has always had a really easy non-conference schedule. Like, he's usually yeah. loading up with a bunch of teams, ranking the 200s and 300s. He doesn't like to play good teams. This year, for some reason, he bit off a really tough non-conference schedule. Like, the only truly awful team On their non-conference schedule is Lafayette. Other than that, they played a a ton of top 100 teams. Like one, two, three, four, five, six. They played six top 100 teams in a row. And then Georgetown's not even ranked in the top 100, but that's a team you'd expect to be there. They played a lot of really good opponents. And they've lost to them for the most part. But I'm just really surprised. Jim Beheim usually doesn't play it this way.
1: He's probably listening. I mean, over the last five or six years, we talk about, you know, Syracuse being a middle of the pack ACC team. And then he, you know, complains about, oh, we should be in the NCAA tournament. People go, look, you played, you know, all the directional mediocre state schools that are in the 300s. You're not going to the NCAA tournament. Or he finds his way into the bubble. And then, you know, eventually they play their way into a final four or something. But this year he's like, hey, I want to take it out of the committee's hands. They're going to have to look and say, they have a really good non-conference schedule. Now they should have won a few of these games, but. At least they can. They, they won't say, "Hey, they went t- ten and zero against the three hundredth best non conference schedule in the country." They they struggled against one of the better non conference schedules they've ever had.
0: Okay, so we're gonna move on really quick, and and it's my turn, and I want to talk about Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is a team that I have been uh, focused on for for a while in in the ACC since the preseason. Guys, I was telling you that I expected them to be a team that would rise up from the middle of the pack and be one of the top tier teams in the ACC. And so I'm here today to tell you that I was probably wrong. <laughs> Notre Dame is currently five and five, just like Syracuse. Um, that, that five and five record does come against a really tough non-conference schedule. They played the 36th toughest schedule in the country. Um, easily among the most challenging ACC schedules for any team this year. Um, but, but the record is still five and five, (laughs) um, all the losses seem pretty reasonable. They lost to St. Mary's, which is a good team. They lost to Illinois, Indiana, good teams. All those teams are going to go to the tournament. They lost to Texas A&M, you know, that's okay, but it's not a bad loss, but they do have one bad loss. They lost to BC in early December. And, and frankly, BC is just not good this year. They are one of the bottom teams in the ACC and Notre Dame was absolutely blown out in that game. Now, it was at BC. I mean, it's always tough to win a game, an ACC game on the road. But still, uh, that was a game Notre Dame probably needed to win. And, and as a result, they, they need, they're going to need to beat some top-tier ACC teams to, to improve their resume and, and get, um, get to the big dance. The, the only good win they have thus far – is they beat Kentucky and they beat Kentucky pretty soundly. And that's a, that's a great victory. There's no question about it. Kentucky has, uh, has shown themselves to be a very, very solid uh, team this, this season. And, and for Notre Dame to get that win shows you what they're capable of, but then they have, you know, all these other games where they just haven't looked like the team that we expected them to be. And the thing, the reason it's really surprising to me is that they're super experienced. Um, Uh, they, they, they really only play seven guys, but six of those guys, six of those seven guys are juniors or seniors. And several of them are fifth year seniors. Um, this Notre Dame team shouldn't be as inconsistent as they've been this year. And I'll tell you the one really inexplicable thing about Notre Dame. I I, I never would have guessed this. Prentice hub is really struggling. He's their point guard. He was an all ACC caliber player last year, averaged 15 points per game, almost six assists per game a year ago. Both those numbers have like almost been cut in half this year. He's only hitting 23% of his threes this season. He's hitting barely 40% of his two point shots. I, I really, I, I expected Prentice hub to be one of the best players in the ACC, perhaps the best point guard in the ACC this year. And that was not like a Jason going out on a limb kind of projection for him to be struggling this much. He's not even starting sometimes for them because he's, he's struggling so badly, it, it really, it's taken their team from a team that I thought was going to be top of the ACC to a team that looks like they're in the middle and, and needs, you know, like a lot of the ACC team needs to win 12 or 13 ACC de- uh, games to have a chance to make the ta- dance.
2: Another team, Jason, that we would have very much assumed was an NCAA tournament team heading into the season that given their mostly poor non-conference performance uh, is, is probably on the wrong side of the bubble unless they run off a lot of ACC victories, which are not worth as much.
0: Yep, exactly. And hey, let's keep on with that theme. <laughs> We've been talking about it for a while. Donald's got another one of those. Virginia, man. I mean, I never expected Virginia to be as bad as they've been this year.
1: I mean, Virginia is one of those teams that over the last few years has been, you know, one of the best programs in college basketball, not just the ACC. You know, they, they won a national championship in the last few years. They've been number one seeds in several NCAA tournaments and ACC tournaments and been one of the top teams in the country. Uh, And they have struggled this season to live up to those expectations. Right now, they're seven and four. They have a couple of good losses and a couple of terrible losses. They have they lost to Houston uh, by 20. I mean, they got smoked by Houston, but that's still a really good loss because Houston is one of the top teams in the country. They also lost to Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but they opened the season with a loss against Navy. At home, and they also have lost to James Madison, uh, which is not a good loss a- at all. So they have a couple of these where they're going to have, again, I think the theme is all these teams have to win 10, 11, 12 games in the ACC to kind of make it to the NCAA tournament. Problem is, not everyone can win 12 games in the ACC.
0: So they yo, yo, By the fall. way, Don- Donald, you're not 10 and 11. These teams have to win 12 or 13. Uh, right. So 11 and 9. In the past, 11 and nine could get you maybe to, to the bubble. That's not going to happen this year in the ACC. You're going to have to be 12. And I, I think you're going to have to be 12 and eight or better because they're with the. And, with and maybe, maybe
1: rattle off a, an ACC tournament win or two.
0: Yeah. With the exception, I think, of Duke, there's no team in the ACC that has a non conference resume good enough to get them consideration if they're 11 and nine. Uh, 12, 12 and maybe even 13 is the magic number for a lot of these teams. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they still have a lot.
1: The thing is, they still have a really good team, right? They, they still have a team that it, their pack line defense is still pretty good. It's just not it has not been as good it has, it, as it has been in previous seasons. Their defensive efficiency is 50th and they're allowing more offensive rebounds, which is allowing teams an opportunity to score more points. And the problem is when their tempo is one of the worst in the country, the slowest in the country. They don't get a lot of possessions. And so when they get behind, it is very difficult for them to catch up because they can't just speed up the game. Their game is very, very slow. So uh, they're still run through uh, Jaden Gardner, who's 15.3 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game. He's kind of been leading uh, this team. Armand Franklin also averages 11.4 points per game. And Kihei Clark, he's under 10 points per game, but he's averaging 4.2 assists per game. I think they'd want both of those to be a little bit more up because... Through Keyhead Clark rolls this team. And if he is playing out of control, which he has at times this year, Virginia plays out of control. And again, when you're a team that limits the number of possessions that you want to play in a basketball game, you better make each of them count. And what they've been relying on in the past few years is that efficiency. And that is not there right now, particularly beyond the arc. They are not hitting their three-pointers. They have 34.4%, is what they're averaging this year, but they are good right now on defense at limiting other teams from shooting two pointers opponents shoot 42.7% from two. So that is a pretty good percentage and they're going to want to make sure that that maintains because again, they need to make it where their offense kind of catches up to their defense, which is usually the case for Virginia, but more so this year. I think the one thing again, that could tend to be in their favor is their schedule. They only have nine of their 20 games against the preseason top seven but they do play Duke twice. Again, we mentioned that towards the end of the season, they do play Virginia, twi- Virginia tech twice. They play Louisville, Clemson, Miami and Pitt twice. So there's a couple of teams out there that they may get some opportunities to get some wins against, but against the big teams in the ACC, the UNCs, Florida state, Virginia tech Duke. They're going to have to play very, very well because as Jason mentioned, if they don't get some of these signature wins, Their non conference schedule is set up and how they played, where they don't have a lot of signature wins, and
0: they may be in danger of missing this tournament for the first time in quite a while. Hey, Donald, there's something you mentioned I want to highlight for folks really quickly. You you talked about Virginia's tempo, and look, we are used to Virginia playing really slowly. Um, Newsflash Virginia plays at the slowest pace of any team in the country this year. I think it's been that way for for like five or six years in a row now. Right. Uh, But the entire ACC is playing absurdly crazy slow so far this year. Uh, you know, I mentioned Virginia is the slowest BC Virginia tech and Pittsburgh are all in the bottom 30 teams in the country at pace of play. You know, I want to repeat that the ACC has four teams, BC Virginia tech, Pittsburgh and Virginia who are among the 30 slowest teams in terms of pace of play. And it's not like the rest of the conference is speeding things up. Clemson, Notre Dame, NC state, also play really slow, well below the national average in terms of possessions per game. There is not a single ACC team, no one, not even Duke, who play among the 70 fastest teams in the country. So ACC games, don't expect to see a lot of, you know, scores in the 80s and 90s for ACC teams. You're going to see a lot of scores in the 50s and 60s. The ACC is just playing slowly this year. And I think, you know, Maybe part of it is that these teams just aren't that good on offense. (laughs) They can't find the shot they want. All right. Our ACC preview is going to wrap up and it's my job to wrap it up with the Carolina Tar Heels. Yes, folks, we were not going to finish an ACC preview. Well, we weren't going to just skip UNC. I I was going to skip them. Yeah. We don't play them for a while. So, uh, so a lot of what I have to say may change over the course of the next month, month and a half until Duke finally plays UNC. But I, I know folks want to hear about the Tar Heels, so so here's my you know shallow deep dive on where UNC is right now. They are arguably, I think, the second best team in the conference. Their their season's been so inconsistent, though. I mean, goodness me, they they early on they really struggled against some bad teams. They beat Brown and Charleston, but boy, it, it was close. Those games were very very competitive games. When you would have thought UNC would. You know, UNC has a lot more talent than Brown and Charleston, let me tell you. But they struggled against those teams. And when they played good teams, man, Carolina got absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, pounded by Tennessee and Kentucky. Those games were not even remotely competitive. Kentucky, the Kentucky game was over like within 10 minutes. It was crazy. Uh, That game was just, uh, Carolina was destroyed in that contest. They, they played somewhat close against Purdue. I mean, they can hang their hat on that for a while. They were playing, they were hanging in there with Purdue, who's a really good team, but that game fell apart late. Um, and, I mean, none of those losses are bad losses, and, and Carolina does have a, a really nice win over Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but it was a home game, and Michigan – no one seems to figure out what's going on with Michigan. Michigan's struggling this year. They've, they've been troubled this season. Um, that is their only – I'm going to repeat this. That is their only top 100 Ken Palm victory so far for UNC. They beat Michigan. The only other win Carolina, Carolina has no other wins in the top 100. Their next best win is Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's not ranked in the top 100. Um, this Carolina team is just terrible on defense. They don't first force turnovers at all. They're 350th in the country. They're 358 NCAA teams. North Carolina is 350th at forcing turnovers. That's bad. Hubert Davis said he wanted Carolina to spread the court more and take more three-pointers and hit a better percentage of their threes this year, and he's succeeded in that regard. They're they uh, they're hitting almost 39% of their threes. They don't shoot a ton of three-pointers, but, but the ones they're taking, they are hitting, and that's that's been a big change for Carolina over recent years. But the way they've accomplished that is they have really sacrificed rebounding and defense, especially rebounding. This Carolina team... It's completely unlike what Roy Williams used to have in terms of offensive rebounding. Roy would stress offensive rebounding from day one and Carolina, you could book them every single year. They're one of the 10, five, often the top offensive rebounding team in the country every year. It was something you could count on for UNC. When they missed a shot, there was a decent chance they would get like 40% of their offensive rebounds. And that was a staple of North Carolina's success gone. That is just history. North Carolina is 145th in, all, in the country in offensive rebounding this year. Uh, that's, that's just shocking. I, I can't recall seeing a Carolina team this bad at offensive rebounding. And the reason is, other than Armando Baycott, they don't have anybody else who sort of likes to play inside. There are other big men like Dawson Garcia, Brady Manick, who are both transfers. They're really guys who want to, they want to play on the perimeter. They don't want to play in the post. And, and they're just not guys who are going to be in there, you know, banging and grabbing offensive rebounds that much. Dawson Garcia is okay at it, but he's, you know, he's not great at it. And, and the rest of the team just is not going after offensive rebounds the way Carolina used to. So it's a very, it's interesting. It's a very different Carolina team from what we've seen in the past. It's a team that shoots a lot of threes and makes them, but is not going to be dominant on the inside. Is not really huge. Like they've been in the past. Doesn't block a ton of shots like they used to, um, you know, I think as Duke fans, you know, we 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 look a little bit at UNC and the transition that they're taking from Roy to Hubert, and we're like, oh, you know, we're about to go through that with Coach K to John Shire. Uh, I'll be very interested in seeing if the Duke team looks completely different under John Shire because the the UNC team under Hubert Davis looks completely different than the way they did under Roy Williams. There is something to be
2: said, though, Jason, for Hubert deciding. I played under Roy. I, I studied under Roy. I've, I've worked with him. I don't, I don't actually. Now I'm thinking about it. I don't know if he actually played for him. He played for Dean, right? And Roy yeah, was for, a, yeah. Yeah. And Roy was a resident was a head coach already elsewhere by the time Hubert got there. But there, you know, Hubert's been been working with Roy for a long time and has clearly decided I'm going to do a different strategy. It takes some time to replace the players, right? A lot of the a lot of the key players for UNC. Are particularly Armando Bacot, are holdovers from the previous administration. So there's a part of this that you could say is admirable that Hubert is is insistent on running his own playbook and, and creating the program in his own image here. But this is the, the growing pains that come from, from running it that way and from not exactly copying your predecessor. You're right. The, the thing that I think about constantly when I watch Carolina, when I read about Carolina is how is this going to be alike or different from the transition from coach K to John Shire? And there is a part of me that hopes that John Shire does make changes. I don't know what, what they would be. I don't have specific like tactical recommendations for him, but I hope that he puts his own stamp on the program. And I hope that he plays a way that, that he wants because ultimately he's the head coach. And so it's fascinating to watch Carolina go through this transition. Maybe this is going to be, you know, another down year before Hubert Davis, Gets all the guys that he needs to run his system, whatever that is, and and makes Carolina top of the ACC or,
0: or two or three again. Well, well, it, it is worth noting, you know, and and the conversation about how Duke transitioned to Shire is one that we have been having and will be having for a while. But bringing it back to UNC, just really quickly, uh, it it'll be very interesting to see how the Carolina fan base reacts as they get into the ACC games and and the possibility. Not a strong possibility, but the possibility exists that Carolina will not make the NCAA tournament this year. Their, their non-conference resume is not strong enough that, that they are one of these teams that could only win 10 or 11 games. Like I said, UNC is going to need to be 12-8, and eight, I think, in the ACC to make the NCAA tournament. And to get a good seed, they're going to need to be around 14 wins, which may be a big ask for a team that is not really good on defense at all. And, and like you
1: said, Jason, their non-conference schedule... You said they only had the one uh, top 100 win against Michigan. There are three games that they played on neutral courts. They lost, and they, you know, a couple of them they lost pretty bad. Where does the NCAA tournament play? They play on neutral courts. And I know that's something that's taken into consideration with seeding, but also when, they, when you have them on national TV, which they've been on quite a bit, especially like CBS for some of these games against uh, uh, like Kentucky, if they're going to play these games, they need to play well in them. And they didn't. They, they showed very, very poorly in those particular games. The eye test is a really big part of this thing. And when people say, hey, if I can put them on a court against insert random team, will they win? The answer is, I don't know. Or the answer might be no. And that's why they need to rattle off a few of these big wins, especially 12 wins is not going to do anything if they're not going to beat some of the bigger, the top teams in the ACC. They need to pluck out some of those teams as well to pad their resume and say, hey, look, not only can we play, but we can play with the best in the country.
0: All right. Well, that's going to do it here for our uh, preview of the ACC and preview of Virginia Tech. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you very much for the deep dive on where the conference is headed this year. Um, Not headed in a great place so far. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we're going to be back in just a couple of days after Duke has played Virginia Tech. The Blue Devils have that game coming up on Wednesday. And uh, once they've played it, we'll be here to tell you all about it. And then it'll be time for a little Merry Christmas break before Duke dives into a lot more ACC games and and we take the journey with all of you for Donald and Sam. I am Jason. Thanks for joining us here on episode 370 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Like we always say, please like, and subscribe, please send us email DBRPodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from all of you. We respond to all those emails and we have great conversations with some of our our big listeners. It's, it's a lot of fun. We really enjoy uh, engaging with all of you. Uh, Again, Donald and Sam and Jason here signing off. Go Duke against Virginia Tech. And Duke fans, play us out and take us home.
2: Hello again, Duke fans, Sam Klein back for a post-episode update. We recorded on Tuesday morning before we got to see the video that John Shire and the team put out uh, doing his uh, upcoming child's gender reveal. So we didn't get to talk about it, but uh, the DBR podcast would like to send a hearty congratulations to coach Shire and to the Shire family and to the Duke basketball family for the uh, boy that is upcoming. And on a future episode, we will, I am sure discuss in depth the question, when was the last time John Shire dunked a basketball unassisted? So we will talk to you again soon. All right. Bye.